is love, is the only footing for us to be able to live a life that isn't foolish, that isn't unrighteous, that isn't simple, all the different categories that the book of Proverbs puts out there. Mike and then, um, sorry, Mike and Brian were able to give us a couple other categories in the book of Proverbs. And I hope that over these last three weeks, it's kind of whet your interest a little bit, whet your appetite to be able to actually go back and read the book. One thing you really might benefit from if you have a little trouble knowing what to do in your devotions, I'm not saying this is all you should do, but one thing that could be really helpful is just to remember most months have 30, 31 days. There are 31 Proverbs in the book, or further one chapters in the book of Proverbs. You can just take any day, take the day, read a chapter, and you will hear echoes of the various themes. Now, we've only picked three. Wealth and words, or sorry, wealth, and work, and today I've got the topic of words. And I don't know how you guys did by way of your self-examination over the last two weeks. Buckle up. That's all I got to say right now. Because <laughs> the way we use our words is very, very revealing. Let me just read off in a number of different translations, a number of different, we don't have a slide for this. It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Evil words destroy. Godly skill rebuilds. Your own soul is nourished when you're kind, but it's destroyed when your words are cruel. A quiet answer quiets anger, and a harsh one stirs it up. Kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim. How are you doing so far? What we're going to do is we're going to try and take one text here, uh, Proverbs chapter 11. That's what was read for us by TC. And we're just going to look at the way that that one, this is not the ultimate text in the book of Proverbs on words. It is one of so many. Because I think what we can be more familiar with rather than the wisdom of this book is this picture from Norman Rockwell. Now, have you guys ever seen this? It's called Gossip, and it starts with two people talking. We'll just call that lady up at the very top, Edith. And Edith, we don't have an Edith. We don't know any Ediths. We're good. Edith is a neutral name for us, okay? Because this is not a, sign, a time to assign. We're going to call her Sue. Oh, Sue, talk. That wouldn't be helpful right now. So Edith is up there on the top, and the process continues, right? You can understand why it's called Gossip, because it continues all the way down to the next picture, where it gets back to Edith in the very end. And the guy that she was talking about finds out somebody talked about him because that guy in the black hat's laughing at him and Edith gets it in the very end. It's one nice summary of one instance that the book of Proverbs talks about. But that is not the only way that the book of Proverbs nor scripture in general speaks about our mouths. Sometimes it says, hey, kind of in you can't say nothing nice. Don't say nothing at all. Sometimes, though, it says, hey, if you're not saying anything, that's actually not very good because you should be using your words in this way. This is one of the reasons I just say, like, buckle up a little bit because I don't feel that there's a category out there, both in what we ought to be saying or what we ought not to be saying, that this, the question will not be if we experience conviction today. It will be where. How and will the gospel permeate that conviction that we experience? And I hope to kind of lead us in that direction. Paul Tripp has said about the book of Proverbs, we'll read this extended quote in a bit, but he said, the book of Proverbs is almost basically just a treatise on talk. And in one sense, well, that's obvious, right? 
the book of Proverbs is written with words. But it is not just written with words, it is written about words. It's not just him talking, it's him talking about talk. Because so much of what we say isn't just associated with wisdom or foolishness. It isn't just associated with righteousness or, or, God, or, righteousness or wickedness or, or the simplicity of our lives. It is more than that. The three things we're going to see that I, I hope we can find out here a little bit is that words reveal, words matter, and words endure. Let's look back at Proverbs 11, verse nine, or 8, to kind of consider that in the very beginning. Because our first point is this, words reveal, so consider yours soberly. Consider the words that you speak and will choose to speak soberly. Verses 8 and 9, the righteous is delivered from trouble, the wicked walks into it instead. Those are the two categories, righteousness and wickedness, one of the many contrasts that Proverbs puts out there. But then it goes to define it a little bit more. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor and by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. So you see the accent there is on the righteous and the wicked there in verse nine or verse eight, right? But then the, the way that righteousness or wickedness kind of expresses itself is there with the accent we see in verse nine. It is with his mouth that the godless man destroys. Now in Proverbs, as you read, you kind of get this sense that the category of wickedness and righteousness, the godly versus the ungodly, that has something to do with, according to the authors of, of Proverbs, and he kind of capped that. We often say Solomon, but you do realize that in reading this, there's some that's very Solomonic, but there's a lot of other stuff that's out there, and that's, that's a little tricky. But as this has been compiled for us, regardless the author of the particular proverb, the categories that are there are consistent. The righteous are the ones that are faithful to God, faithful to the covenant. The wise and the fool are often those that take that faithfulness and apply it in a variety of different ways. But there's a, an association here between righteousness and wickedness and how you speak. You see it there in verse 9. The godless destroys his neighbor with his mouth. And because of the way that Proverbs kind of parallels itself and is, is done in these couplets, I think you can apply that same phrase to the end of verse 9 too. It is with his, his mouth that the righteous are delivered by knowledge. And so the righteous are delivered, the wicked walk into it. How is it the wicked get in trouble? what they say. This isn't the only spot, though, in Proverbs. I, I mentioned this. Here's another category. This comes from Proverbs chapter 10. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Now, let me address the simple among you. All right? And by simple, I don't mean ungodly. By simple, I don't mean um, unwise. But the simple in the book of Proverbs seem to be those who really want a, a third option. They're the ones who haven't quite made up their minds. And so often when the simple are addressed, what the simple are addressed as is those that are hearing these categories because there is black and white, there is good and bad, there is wisdom and there is folly. And the authors are putting it forward saying, these are your two choices. And the simple are going, 
Oh, I just, I don't know. The simple are not described in good terms. And so let me just warn you against the simplicity that your heart wants to go towards right now. You want your words to be neutral. And according to this book, they are not. Our words are not neutral. They have a direction. They move us somewhere. They move us away from something. They move toward gratitude and toward worship, or they move toward self-centeredness, or they move toward uh, destruction or rebuilding. Listen to uh, other, other words here. Verse, uh, uh, chapter 4, or sorry, 18, verse 4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. But a fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare to his soul. And you, you, you hear this association that's being made so far. And I'm, these are not the only ones. I'm not just picking the ones that make my point. You just go and read through and you will see I've given you a sampling of the way that Proverbs talks about your words. And the simplicity of our hearts wants to say, yeah, that's true when other people talk to me. I can take other people's words and I can rank them as good or bad, helpful or unhelpful, wise or foolish, but don't you dare judge me that way because my circumstances are just so complex. There are just so many other extenuating things that are going on. If you, Anne of Green Gables, if you just knew everything I wanted to say, but don't say, oh, it's, we can't do that. Let's church, listen, just not be a simple church in this sense. If you're going to get anything else out of the rest of this message, you're going to get anything out of reading the book of Proverbs and letting God search you through it, you have to submit to this standard. Words reveal something. But the question that we get coming out of the book of Proverbs, this is why it's so great to read Proverbs in light of everything else we have in the Bible, is so far it seems like that, that whole correlation point Right? You've heard that in logical terms. Correlation is not causation just because two things happen at the same time. doesn't mean that one created the other one. Right? There's a lot of ways of thinking about that logical fallacy. But in this book, so, so much what we see is, is just correlation. People who are speaking this way are also foolish. And the question we have to ask is, okay, so does speaking like that make you a fool? Or does folly come out in what you say? In Proverbs has a few moments that it kind of hints at things, but we get more correlation answers rather than causation answers. Make sense? So what we have to do is, in order to understand this category of what, what words are revealing, are words revealing just, ah, I misspoke. Yeah, sometimes they are. Sometimes we just misspeak and people are like, oh, was that a Freudian slip? Like, I, I hope not. I don't mean it to be. It was just something I was saying and I used this other word. Let's just kind of... Can we get a mulligan on that and we just try again? Yes, okay, that sounds wonderful. Sometimes we don't speak well because, frankly, we haven't really done much with our brains, and so we don't have a lot of, like, good words being poured into us. Sometimes there's a little bit of that old computer programmer lingo of garbage in, garbage out. You listen to filth most of the time. Oh, it's surprising. You start swearing. You listen to people talk a certain way, who present a certain worldview, who say these are the ways that you're supposed to think and operate and understand based on what you read, based on the, what you listen to, and based on the people you hang out with. Guess what? That's the way you're going to speak. But Jesus goes a little more deep, doesn't he? I mean, we just spent some time recently in the book of Luke. Chapter 6. A good person 
out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And you all know who we're talking about, right? It's that person in your life who you can clearly categorize by these sorts of things. I know what they said, so I know what they think. I know what's going on in them. I would say that's probably not why this passage was written. It's probably not why Jesus was being able to deliver this point to the people. I want you to be able to diagnose the flawed motives of everybody who annoys you and stuff that they say. That's not what Jesus was getting at. I think Jesus was asking, a much, asking us to ask a much harder question. What do my words reveal? Because that is our first point. Words reveal. To change Paul's words just a little, and I think it's appropriate application here. Listen to Romans chapter 7. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not say what I want, but I say the very thing I hate. So it is no longer I who says it, but sin that dwells within me. Jesus says evil words come from evil inside. Paul says, now the original language of Romans 7 is about do, but I think that our words can be one of the things we do. So thinking about what we say, we say the things that are going on inside us. And you might believe me now, but if I walk in on any argument, and if you are angry, or if you are anxious, and you are speaking and I just pause and repeat back to you what you say. That's where simplicity starts to come up. That's where we begin to want to have a third category. Oh, they made me mad. Oh, they said this. Oh, it's just this situation. Are those things true? Yes. Is it tempting to be in this world with these other people? Absolutely. Are they ever at fault for what you say? Never. We can never, as simpletons, say they made me say whatever. And this isn't about being the word police. This is just about taking this point for what it is. Can we accept the fact that when we speak, we are revealing what's going on inside? We're revealing our values. We're revealing our thoughts. We're revealing the way that we process what's going on in this world. The I, I just don't understand how you could say no, but if you're still saying no, let me just give you one more passage, and this is from James, so much of a New Testament book that is really like a commentary on the book of Proverbs. He says this in chapter four, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. Our words are never neutral. The first thing, if we're going to read Proverbs well, that we have to get is that our words reveal. So the question we have to ask is, will we willingly and humbly and prayerfully, what comes out of your mouth? Will we give more careful consideration to what we say and what we tend, what we tend to say? And I'll just say, honestly, if you've got headphones or something like that and you want to put them in, if you answer no to this question, honestly, you can do something else for the rest of this message. Because if your answer to this is no, then 
honestly, you're just going to evaluate how well I'm doing. But you're not here to evaluate me. We're not here to evaluate God. He's going to here to evaluate us. So the question is, will we give careful consideration to what we say, to what we tend to say? If you want to answer yes, it might mean that what you're willing to do is to go home later today and ask somebody who knows you really well. Let me just ask you some questions about how I talk. When, when things get tricky in my life, when I get worried, when I get angry, when I feel lonely, if I get hurt, what do I do? Because I can read the Psalms. I hear all the things God wants me to be praying about and expressing. I know the parables of the 10 lepers and the one who came back and said, thank you. So I know the stuff I ought to say that I don't say. What, what do I normally do? Or not just what do I not say that I ought to say, but what has come out of my mouth because I tend to want to excuse it. Could you give me some help? That might be one thing you could do. We'll have some other suggestions at the end. The first point we're trying to get at is that words reveal. The second is this. Words not only reveal what's going on, but words are incredibly powerful. Words matter. So don't just consider what you've said, but choose your future ones benevolently. Listen to the, let's go back to verse 9 again in, in Proverbs chapter 11. With his mouth, the godless would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. Well, right there, when we stop and we hear it, what we hear is the category of consequences for our words. And just so we know, if we're going to embrace this, we are rejecting one of the most powerful maxims of our country today. You can say whatever you want, and all that matters is what it accomplishes. If you don't believe me, consider the last presidential election cycle. How did we do as a country valuing words? I think we did poorly. I think our culture got an F for whether or not we gave each other a pass on what we say, because frankly, the reason we want to do that for them is because we so want to pass for what we say. I just want to be able to have a get out of free or get out of jail free card for the words that I speak because I want other people to just be like, yeah, they don't matter. Read Proverbs, that's a flat out lie. Words matter. They kill, they destroy, but they also build and they also bring life. Those are the kinds of things that belong to our tongues. It's why James says, if you read that entire passage, that your tongue is like a rudder. It's like a match and it can set things ablaze and it can, it can turn the course of ships in a direction that can just be horrible. The Bismarck. A boat that could not be destroyed. It was German and it was taking down ships of the Allies one after another. And so the Allied forces made it a, a goal. We're going after this boat. And when they finally found it, they took a couple shots at it and realized, man, this thing is too fast. It's too big. We just, we cannot overpower it until I, I think the report is that as luck would have it, so to speak, one ship shot and kind of lodged a torpedo in its rudder. And at that point, 
this great and mighty ship just started to make a circle that it could not get out of. And so the Allied forces were just able to launch all of them exactly where they knew that the ship was going to be, and it took it down. That's James' point. And he's borrowing that point from the book of Proverbs. No matter how mighty you may think you are, are you the horse of this church? Well, guess what? Even a horse is moved by a, a small little thing inside its mouth, and you are moved, and in some ways your influence is controlled by this small little thing in your mouth too. By his mouth, with his mouth, verse 9, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. And if that's not a powerful enough way to say it, listen, that's, that's one-on-one, right? My word, my, my words to one person. Listen, listen to the effect that he goes on to next in verse 10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. That is an incredibly rude statement, doesn't it seem? Something bad happens to people. What's the thing we're supposed to do? We're supposed to, oh, so sorry that it went badly for you. No, no, what he's highlighting here in verse 10 is when wicked people suffer, whole cities are like, yes, finally. Oh, man, it's time. You got to ask, why? Why? And what does that have to do with this? Look at verse 11. It's because by the blessing of the upright, a city can be exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it can be overthrown. In other words, if you want an illustration of just how powerful your mouth is, it's not just what a mom says to her child or kids, what a child says to mom. It's not just the one-on-one stuff. Is that your words can sway groups. Your words can set the atmosphere and tone for an entire city so that it could be exalted or it could be overthrown based on whether there is uprightness or wickedness that is coming out of your mouth. Words matter. And that's the thing we can't really mess with. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. I've, uh, I messed up the next slide, Michael, so don't, don't worry about it. Um, good words satisfy like a fine meal. And good conversations are sure to satisfy. Wise words are more valuable than gold and many rubies. A person's word can be a source of wisdom, deep as the ocean, fresh as a flowing stream. Kind words are like honey. They're sweet to the spirit and bring healing to the body. Isn't isn't that the way you would want to be remembered if you left a group? either permanently left the group and people were asking questions or just left a party. You were just there. You hung out there for a couple hours. What did did you do? What did you contribute? Not are you talkative, not are you an introvert, not are you an extrovert, but when you spoke, what did you add? Did people get the effect of a, a deep deep source of wisdom, a fine meal, many rubies, gold, 
honey. Or telling lies about friends is like attacking them with clubs and swords and sharp arrows. Fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Your words matter. Paul Tripp, I mentioned him before. Listen to this extended quote. The book of Proverbs is, in ways, a treatise on talk. I would summarize it this way. Words give life, words bring death, and you choose. What does this mean? It means that you have never spoken a neutral word in your life. Your words have direction to them. If your words are moving in a life direction, they will be words of encouragement, hope, love, peace, unity, instruction, wisdom, and correction. But if your words are moving in a death direction, they will be words of anger, malice, slander, jealousy, gossip, division, contempt, racism, violence, judgment, and condemnation. Your words have direction to them. When you hear the word talk, you ought to hear something that is high and holy and significant and important. May God help us never to look at talk as something that doesn't matter. Now, I think the most unhelpful way of taking this point and trying to apply it is by beating yourself up for a stupid thing you've said. Or a selfish thing you've said. Because those happen. We were in a conversation as a family the other day. Somebody said something and then said, well, you know what? I just said that. That wasn't the best version of me. I'd like to retract those words. And we were all like, great. Yep, never happened. It's good. We're just moving on. That should be part of what it means to be a community centered on mercy and grace. We just just give each other a lot of space to mess up because we realize we're not all perfected yet. Sanctification, glorification aren't fully kind of worked out in our midst. So let's all be good. But where I think it's more difficult is to then ask the question of the patterns of our speech. In what way do my direction, do my words often move? Am I, have you ever done this in a pool? Where, uh, particularly an above ground pool and usually the circular ones where you, you get somebody in the middle and you all start going around the outside edge and you all start trying to spin up and you all start trying to get a current going and after a while everybody just lets go and you're like, yeah, this is awesome because you're just moving around. It's so like you've made a little wave pool, right? And then there's, at least at my age when we used to be doing this, you know, 42, um, there's that one guy <laughs> who decides he's going to move the other way you know, you're all going, he's like, no, we're going this way. I, you got to be that guy. You got to be that guy. Because in our culture, you cannot underestimate the force and the current that is moving us in the dire- direction of speaking your own truth, just being real. Self-expression is the key thing. Does it matter what you say? No, it's just that it's true. What garbage, what foolish, wicked garbage to discount the importance of our words, whether they're true or not true. Nah, just what they get done. 
So we can sell lies in our culture and people buy it and the company's successful if they sold a lot. You want to live that way? Not according to this book. Truth matters. Dignity in our words matter. Encouragement and upbuilding rather than tearing down. Those things matter and we are always that kid in the pool. But let's just be that kid in the pool together. Because that's usually what happens in the pool too. That one kid gets going, and honestly, it looks kind of fun, you know? So then somebody else is like, yeah, let's get going. And so we're just pushing this way. We're pushing this way. It's not a bad application or reference to the chosen right there, right? The fishy's just turning and swimming upstream. If you will embrace wisdom as presented in the book of Proverbs, that's the way you're going to have to talk for the rest of your life. But words reveal and words matter. And the last thing is that words endure. So deploy yours worshipfully. Listen to the way that Proverbs chapter 11 ends. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. But a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So the categories that are there in verses 12 and 13 have to do with not just our words, but then the impact of them. How can things stay covered? It's only if we choose every day to remember we have to keep them covered. I have a lot of trouble with this, especially when I'm telling stories about seasons of weakness for me. Notice one thing I really want to do is create villains, or maybe not villains, but at least subsets of characters in my stories. I want to talk about times that things haven't gone well for me, and I want to usually assign some level of fault, maybe not in the most overt ways, but kind of in a sneaky way. I don't want to fully uncover all the weakness of somebody else, but I just want to let you peek behind the curtain just a little bit and say, it wasn't great back here. Sometimes that can be helpful as we're making future decisions to learn from the past, but I wish that's all that was going on in my heart. I just want to be the hero of my story. It's just we didn't ever sing a worship song, I hope ever. We certainly didn't sing any today that we're putting the pastor of the church or any of us as the central hero of worship. It is what only God can do to rebuild, to ultimately encourage, to ultimately redeem. God will be getting credit for this at the end, so why don't we just start giving him credit when we tell our stories? That would mean we could be as free and open within, you know, appropriate reasons about our own weakness, about our own failings, and we could then accent the glory and faithfulness of God in the middle of our stories. Boy, I really botched that season. Boy, I really messed that up. Boy, I tried and I really failed. But boy, God has been faithful and we're still here. I'd rather have that be my story at the end of the days because if heaven had to be about telling my story, heaven would last for a second, maybe, and then it would be done. People would be like, what are we going to do now? I thought this was all supposed to be about Darren. Well, that's the way he was telling the story. No, our words endure. So let's use them for that where we're worshiping. 
Because, going back to 12 and 13, those who belittle versus those who remain silent have lasting consequences. Those who cover versus those who reveal, lasting consequences. And it ultimately comes down to this, where there's no guidance, a people falls. But an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Proverbs 19.5 and 26, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there's no whisperer, quarreling seats. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Gracious words are pure. And then listen to this category. Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And whenever that line comes out, comes out a few times, what's coming next really matters. Listen to the association for the significance of our words. Here's what God hates. Haughty eyes, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that made haste to run to evil. Right? Wouldn't we say God hates that? In fact, those things are so detestable that generally when they show up, even in an ungodly culture, our ungodly culture has enough kind of Christian, you know, at least influence in the past to be able to say, yeah, those things aren't good. But God ranks up right with that. A lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. If God says these things so offend me, that I would put them in the category of the other body parts and people that are destroying my kingdom, it would be wise for us to remember, to remember that our words matter and that they endure because ultimately they get to worship God or they don't. And this is the point James makes when he links our words with the people that we're speaking to. He says, with our words, he uses the phrase, the tongue. With our words, we bless our Lord and Father. And with them, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. James says our words matter so much because usually the people we're talking to are reflections of the God that we say we love. And if we would truly love him, we should speak differently to them. Now, as I said, it wasn't going to be a matter of if, it was going to be a matter of where. Where is it that we experience some level of conviction from just reading this? And I want to let you know, keep reading it anyway. But here's why. As you read, I want you to do three things. All right, so let's think about what we can do. The first is I want you to pay attention to what you say. It's the, it's the first point that we made here, all right? You might need somebody else's help. Maybe you just need to do a little bit of the one secret Jace gave me for weight loss. I was thanking him again either this morning. It was last night. We didn't see each other this morning. 
I was thanking him again for how he's helped me to shed some weight. And he said, Dad, yeah, honestly, I think it's down, it comes down to one thing. You just got to pay attention to what you eat. So in the beginning, what that meant was got a scale. I've got a program. And I say, I'm thinking of eating this. What do you think? And it's like, that's a lot of calories. But I used to eat that a lot. Yeah. I just had to start paying attention. Maybe you need something like that. Maybe you need a little journal that you just keep, something you've got in the back pocket, something you've got in your notes app or something on your phone where you just say, wow, that was a moment. I said something. I want to just keep note of it for a second. Maybe you need to bring in some friends and you bring in your family, bring in a spouse, something along those lines. Get a little help, but pay attention to what you say. Is it crass or pure? Is it truthful or whatever word you use to, you know, kind of minimize lying? Because there's probably got a euphemism, a fair name for a foul sin. But are our words truthful or that other thing? Are they helpful or that other thing? Are they grateful or that other thing? Just for a while, pay attention to what you say. All right? Second thing that I want you to do is to stop excusing what you say. Let's just push upstream. Let's create a different current where we pay attention to our words and then we don't make excuses for them. Because that's the moment where we decide whether we're Christians or not. Because the rest of the population, whether religious or not religious, comes up with some way of doing penance for their mistakes. They do something and they have to undo it. They do something and then they have to do something else to balance it out. It's just a matter of, you know, what are we going to put on this side of the scale? What are we going to put on that side of the scale? Here's what we do. We put us on one side of the scale and we put the righteous life of Jesus on the other side of the scale. And we say, that's all I got. But we can't do that if we're not going to pay attention and we're going to keep making excuses. So we pay attention to what we say. We, keep, we don't excuse what we say anymore. And we just then start to pray about what we say. I think if we take these three steps, that wherever we're at, we'll probably make some pretty significant gains. Not undo what you say, not do penance for what you say, not try to find something to just, oh my goodness, I got to go online because I can't think about this. This is way too heavy. Third step might be the hardest. If you're going to pay attention, if you're going to stop making excuses, you could take time simply to pray. Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth, keep a watch over the door of my lips. What a great prayer. Or this one, and this is the one we're going to close with. And this is the first song we're going to sing together. So why don't you join me? And let's pray together. And I just want to pray Psalm 19 verse 14 for us to close. Oh Lord. Let the words of our mouths. And let the meditations of our hearts. Be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, we pray that the words of our mouths flowing out of the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you. We confess 
where they're not, and we resolve to stop making excuses. But we pray for, we plead for the blood of Jesus to forgive us for the false, unkind, ungrateful, unworshipful words that we've spoken. We pray, Lord, for the blood of Jesus to cover the moments where words were needed and we remained silent and the moments where we should have remained silent and we instead spoke. Lord, we are undone by our words, but we are hopeful as well for the words we can speak. We're hopeful for the fact that you purge our hearts of what is selfish and you replace it with what is godly and charitable. We're grateful that your grace has lightened our load. And we pray, Lord, that we would use our words to do that for others. So may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>